Why don't you guys go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew 11. That's where we're going to be tonight. I'm excited about our passage. Another heart saying this series has been superb. The Word of God never ceases to amaze us. Just when we think we've understood something fully, I was telling someone this earlier this week, just when we think we've understood something fully, God just keeps revealing more and more of the truth he wants us to understand. And just when we think we've read or studied a passage enough, it pops back up again. And it's explained, and its richness is, is once again just sort of laid before for our eyes. And that's uh, how I felt in this series. It's been rich. Um, just love it. So if you're there, I want you to read along with me. We're going to learn from a, a great man today, a great man, and uh, not Jesus, but John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Verse 7, Matthew 11. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and law, the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Well, tonight we get to look into the greatest tribute or greatest commendation given by the greatest person concerning the greatest prophet. Matthew 11 records the verses that I just read for you, the, the greatest tribute given by the greatest person concerning the greatest prophet who ever lived. Jesus' tribute to John the Baptist. If you have a NASB, actually the subtitle in your Bible reads that. In summary of this passage, Jesus, before the great crowds on this occasion, places his stamp of approval on John the baptizer. Before this audience here in Matthew 11, again, I'm just summarizing it for you. Christ affirms the life of John the Baptist, and not only the life, but also the ministry of John the Baptist. And he basically tells the people before him this, John was a man truly sent from God. He was truly from God. And there are just some amazing statements in here, in this passage, made by our Lord concerning John. And so what I want to do is walk you through what's communicated in this tribute, that is what Jesus says about John in these verses, and then talk about why this tribute was given to John. Tonight's pretty simple. The outline's pretty simple. One, what is communicated in this tribute to John? And then why is it communicated in this tribute, or why it's communicated um, and in talking about the why, I'll point out some applications for us. And so first things first, what's communicated in this tribute to John? 
And there are two things that Jesus communicates to his audience concerning John. And those two things are this. One, John is a man of God. He's a godly man. And then two, John is a messenger from God. From verses 7 all the way down to 14, that summarizes what Jesus basically says. He's a man of God, but not only a man of God, he's a messenger from God. And so first, John is a man of God. We see that in verses 7 and 8 with the two questions that Jesus Pose. Look at verse 7. And as they went away, and actually just stop there. <laughs> Verses 1 through 6 sets up this context. And the day mentioned in verse 7 is referring to the two disciples that John, John's in prison. John the Baptist is in prison at this time. And he sends his two disciples to go to Jesus to ask him a question. And actually, why don't you, why don't you look at it in verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, Christ Miraculous works were spreading all throughout the Palestinian region. He sent word by his disciples and said, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In other words, are you the Messiah, the promised Messiah that I read about in the Old Testament? And here in verses 1 through 6, we see John doubting, a great man, uh, the greatest man, doubting. And the reason he was doubting was because of this, simply put, uh, the way Jesus was unfolding his ministry, the way Jesus was doing things, it wasn't clear in John's mind that uh, that's how it was going to work. Similar, if you remember two weeks ago, uh, similar to the disciples, he thought, he thought that uh, once Messiah came, uh, everything was going to be made right. The kingdom was going to be ushered in. And yet he's sitting in jail, about to die. And so he's curious, is, is this guy the Messiah? Why, am, why is his messenger then sitting in jail. So he goes to Jesus, or he sends his two disciples to Jesus to ask, are you truly the, the one? Are you, are you the one? And Jesus uh, he basically says, yes, I am. And he sends his two messengers back to John to give him comfort, to give him comfort and saying, yes, I am the one whom you've bore witness about. And so that is the day in verse 7, as they, John's two disciples, taking the words of Jesus to John back to him, they went away, and Jesus, looking at verse 7, began to speak to the crowds concerning John. And so this occasion in verses 1 through 6 sets up an opportunity for Jesus to talk about John, for Jesus to give this tribute to John. And again, in the first two verses, he says, John was a man of God. Let's look at the first one. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Or who did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What does he mean by this? Well, all throughout the region in which John the Baptist served, and Jesus as well, right along the rivers he baptized people in, there grew these plants, which Jesus calls here uh, reeds. And reeds, ladies and gentlemen, would grow to be very tall and very, very skinny. And as a result of these reeds being tall and skinny, the wind would pass by, or as the wind passed by, it would cause them to blow right over. Again, you can imagine that, these tall, skinny plants. As the wind came by, they just blew right over. And actually, one commentator said about these plants that they were so tall and slender, these reeds that Jesus refers to here in verse 7, that when a gust of wind passed by, they would lie perfectly parallel to the ground and then resume their upright position once the wind had died down. And this is the picture that Jesus paints for his audience. He says, was John this man? Was John this man? 
This plant, when the wind comes, just gets blown right over and then assumes his position. Then a, a wind comes from this angle and blown right over and then assumes his position. Was he like this reed? Or better yet, was he a vacillating man? Was he an indecisive man? A man who didn't know, listen to this, what he believed? A man who was always changing? And the answer to this question was no. It was no. All those in Jesus' day who had witnessed the preaching of John the Baptist, those who were listening to the words of Christ on this occasion who had heard uh, John the Baptist uh, would have well understood that this, this picture of this reed being tossed by the wind was not an accurate description of John. John was a man with conviction. He was not a noodle for a spine type of guy. He, he was not, I, I think this is what God says, type of man. He, he was a bold man. And Jesus says, you didn't go out all the way out in the wilderness and listen to me, some of them would travel miles upon miles, deserty, to see him preach. He says, you didn't go out into the wilderness to see some undecided man who was hesitant with his message. You didn't go out to see someone giving his opinions. No, you went out to see a man with a lion of a personality. John the Baptist was a man who was so firmly planted down in his faith that he was practically immovable, ladies and gentlemen, immovable. Now, that doesn't mean perfect, because actually, right, when we read verses 1 through 6, we learn he had doubts. But overall, he was a man, again, firmly planted down in what he believed. Actually, let me show you the tenacity of this man back in chapter 3. Go to Matthew chapter 3. Was he like this reed? Man, this vacillating man, no convictions, absolutely not. We see that here in Matthew 3 as he's preaching. And in verse 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And so he's preaching on this occasion to crowds that are coming to him. And then skip down to verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him, to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers. I mean, they don't even get a chance to sit down. He, he said, you, you, you brood of vipers, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And, and do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham uh, as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. I mean, this is strong language. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into a fire. A vacillating man? No way. Look at verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And just a quick note, you don't want to be baptized with fire. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. Verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. That's a good thing, believers. But the chaff he will burn with Unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire. <laughs> a reed shaken by the wind? Mm, doesn't describe John. I mean, again, like I just said, these religious leaders, right, they, they don't even get a chance to sit down. They step onto the scene and he pronounces judgment on them. This is, this is what we have going on here. I mean, I mean it's like someone's taking their first step into church and someone's right there calling, calling fire upon their head. This is, this is the image that we have here. 
These religious leaders, they thought they were privileged. In verse 9, they say, we have Abraham as our father. We have Abraham as our father. And so God is pleased with us. And John says, get rid of that false notion. Into verse 9. He says, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. So don't think you're so special. And then verse 10, he says, even now the axe is, 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 is laid to the root of the tree. He's saying the judgment is already upon your head. It's there. And then at the end, unless you repent and bear fruit, you're going to be cut down. You're going to be punished. If you don't turn from the wrath of God that's already upon your head, again, guys, this is to the religious leaders, John the Baptist preaching. If you don't turn from your sin, you're going to experience an unquenchable fire. <laughs> there is no sign of timidity with this man. There's no sign of a vacillating, indecisive, noodle for a spine type of man here in Matthew 3. Listen to me, John was a roaring lion. He was a fire-breathing dragon, if you will, warning all who stood before him to flee from the wrath of God. Flee from the wrath of God. Making a promise to all who, who would not repent, the expectation of judgment. And so now that we've looked at this, go back to Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11. A vacillating man? A reed swayed by the wind? And the answer was no. He was a man who was unwavering when it came to the truth, and he would speak it to anyone and everyone. But moving on, again, Jesus is speaking of the character of John. He asks another question in regard to this man's character. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? No, you didn't, you didn't go out to see it. What, what then did you go out to see in verse 8? A man dressed in Soft clothing? And stop there. That word translated soft in verse 8 could easily be rendered feminine. Did you go out to see a, a man dressed in feminine garments? A, a man dressed like a woman? The idea is someone who's a softie, who's so preoccupied with, with his or her appearance that they, they, they doll themselves up like a gal. Did you go out into the wilderness to see that type of guy? Was, was that what John was like? And again, the answer was a clear no. I mean, he's tossing the crowd softballs here. No way. No way. He, he says, you know where to find those types of people, the soft, clothed-wearing, feminine, soft type of people. Look at the end of verse 8. What then did you go out to see, a man dressed in soft clothing? No. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Those types of people aren't out in the wilderness, Men who dressed up like that aren't found where John is found. Men in that day and age who dressed up in such attire were very, very wealthy. They were very wealthy individuals. They were men who lived lives of excess, men who possessed far more than they needed, men who were so focused on what others thought about them that they dressed themselves up like women. I mean, th this was a no-brainer, <laughs> a no-brainer. John would have been considered nothing of such sort. He was just the opposite of this description. He, he would have been considered an oddball by the people. He, he would have been considered some type of homeless maniac in this day and age. The gospel writers tell us he, he lived out in the wilderness. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. He, he wore a, a garment made out of a camel's hair and wrapped 
and wrapped a, a belt around his waist. I mean, talk about that for an outfit. He ate locusts, insects, and wild honey. That was his diet. <laughs> Again, John would not have fit the bill of what Jesus is describing here. Actually, look at verse 18 if you're in Matthew 11. Look at verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say what? He has a demon. <laughs> Some thought he had a demon. Some thought he was such an eyeball that he, he had been possessed. And I actually pulled up a picture off the internet of a movie seeking to capture what John looked like. And so if you guys wouldn't mind bringing up that picture, I mean, that was John the Baptist. That was John the Baptist, a man dressed in soft clothing, worried about his appearance. I mean, right? If we see a guy like, or, I mean, we're not gonna be so inclined to just go up to them and hug them, right? <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Jesus says, you know where to find those type of men. But John was not one of them. He was not worried about his appearance. He was a man on a mission. He was a man who knew what he had been commissioned by God to do. And that was all that occupied his mind. Not his clothing, not his appearance in the eyes of mere men. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the character of John in a nutshell. I mean, essentially two questions. We can see Jesus pointing to his character was he like a reed being shaken in the wind a vacillating man no he was a man with strong convictions a bold man who knew what he believed and was firmly planted down in his beliefs okay well what about a soft clothed man was that what the people saw with john a man dressed like a woman a man with lots of money who was so preoccupied with his appearance again the answer was no he wasn't worried about his physical appearance. He wasn't, he wasn't worried about what others thought about him. He had an audience of one. He had an audience of one. And so in summary, Jesus communicates with these first two questions to his audience. John was a godly man. John was a righteous man. John was a God-fearing man. Again, audience of one. And that's what you went out into the wilderness to see, Jesus says here. And the people knew that. They knew that. But, but secondly, on top of being a man of God, again, J Jesus is giving this tribute to John. He, he's a man of God, but also he's a messenger from God. He's a messenger from God, and that's in verses 9 through 14. And from verses 9 through 14, Jesus is essentially trying to prove that John was a true messenger of God. And, and he gives the people six truths, six truths that validate, that prove that John was a true messenger the first one comes in verse 9. He says he's a prophet. Verse 9, what then did you go out to see? Okay, it wasn't a vacillating man, a man with no convictions. It wasn't a, a man so preoccupied about his appearance that he dressed himself up in soft clothing like a woman. It wasn't that. So what, what then did you go out to see? A, a prophet? He says, yes, I tell you. Yes, I tell you. Je Jesus says he wasn't some soft man. He wasn't some flashy, feminine, self-conscious type of man, but he was a prophet. And the word used for prophet speaks of one who had been commissioned by God, one who had been, been, one who had possessed the spirit of God, one who had a message directly from God. John was a man, as we saw back in Matthew chapter 3, that solemnly declared before his hearers the exact words of God, unadulterated, untampered with. He was a prophet. He was a prophet. That was truth number one, but even Going further than that, truth number two, 
Jesus says he was a special prophet. Look at verse 9 again. What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you. You saw a man speaking for God, and, and more than a prophet, he says. Look at verse 10. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Not only was John a spokesman for God, just any old prophet, but he was a special spokesman for God. And so the question is, what made John so special? What got John the privilege of being spoken of here by our Lord at the end of verse 9 as being more than a prophet? And the answer is, is in the passage that is quoted in verse 10. The Old Testament passage quoted in verse 10 comes from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, which was the last book written under the Old Covenant, the last book in your Old Testament. And in that chapter, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord promised that he would send a messenger to prepare the way for his coming. And we actually see that in, in verse 10 in the passage. He says, behold, I send my messenger before your face. This is, this is God the Father speaking to God the Son. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. It was custom for kings in that day and age, and, and hear me out on this. It, it, it was custom for kings in that day and age when they were traveling from place to place to send a messenger before them to the town or to the place that they were traveling to. They would send a messenger before them. And what this messenger would do, what he would have done who was sent before the king, was remove all the traveling obstacles and all the traveling difficulties that would potentially cause the king trouble while he traveled. Does that make sense? That, that messenger that, that was sent before the king, he would remove all obstacles. His, his sole purpose, right, was to make the king's travel a smooth sailing. He, he, was, he was to make for easy travels for the king. And just the way, and just in a similar way that the messengers did that for, the, for their kings in that day and age, John the Baptist was that way for Jesus. He, he cleared out all the obstacles. Not in a traveling sense, but in a spiritual sense. And the primary way he did this was through the preaching of repentance and through calling people to come be baptized. That was John's message. Repent and be baptized. And again, he was preparing the way for the Lord. I mean, and actually, as I was thinking about this, wouldn't it be so cool to have some type of messenger like that? I'm just thinking in our day and age, right? We're trying to get to the under end of town and we send some, some person before us to just move everybody else out the way. So we just, we're just shooting through green lights. I mean, that's what John, that's what John did for Jesus in a spiritual sense. Because think about it. John said, repent, turn from your sins. And then Jesus comes on a scene and says, believe in me. Believe in me. Repent and believe in me. And so John was a prophet, but he was a special prophet. He was the forerunner to the Messiah. But thirdly, Jesus says, he's the greatest prophet. Look at verse 11. The greatest prophet. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. <laughs> what a lofty statement made by our Lord here. And the truth of this verse really ties back to the fact that John had been uniquely commissioned by God. There, there were no other prophets under the old covenant that had the privilege of being the messenger of the Messiah that prepared his way. There was only one prophet who had the honor of doing that, and that was John the Baptist, ladies and gentlemen. And so John, because of his unique opportunity to be that messenger, to clear the way out for a Messiah, Jesus says he was the greatest one born 
among women. The greatest prophet. But fourth truth, the fourth truth, he's a prophet. He's a special prophet, forerunner. Again, Jesus is trying to prove this man was sent from God. He was the greatest prophet. Fourthly, he, he was a prophet whose message was received. Verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. What does Jesus mean by this? And what Jesus is basically saying here is, when John began to preach, ladies and gentlemen, though many rejected him, which we'll talk about at the end of our message, though many rejected him, there were many who stormed their way into the kingdom under his preaching. The idea behind the word suffer violence there in verse 12 is the idea of being taken by force, the idea of, of, of being sought out after fervently. Under John's preaching, people sought after the kingdom of God fervently. They came after it. They came after it. Since John started preaching, there have been men and women, Jesus says, that have sought fervently after the kingdom that he has preached and the king that he has preached. People have come. They've come. And so in a sense, John was a received prophet. He was a prophet, a special prophet, the greatest prophet. He was a prophet whose message was received. But then fifthly, Jesus says he's the prophet who no longer prophesies in the sense of foretelling. Look at verse 13. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And this truth really tells us of the reason why John's message was so received. This ties back into verse 12. The reason why people stormed their way into kingdom, the reason why people listened to John the Baptist was because everyone before him, listen to this, here was their message. All the prophets and the laws before John the Baptist, here's what they said about Messiah. He's coming, he's coming, we don't know when he's gonna come, and John's message was this, he's here, he's here. Everyone before John, all the prophets, they were saying, he's coming, he's coming, we don't know when, and John said, He's here. He is here. John had the privilege to see the Christ and to point to the Christ and to touch the Christ. That's what Jesus says. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. They, fore, they foretold, not John. He said the king was here. So he was a prophet. He was a special prophet. He was the greatest prophet. He was the prophet whose message was received, right? He, he, he was the prophet who no longer foretold, but he said Messiah was here. And then lastly, Jesus says he's the prophet Elijah. He's the prophet Elijah. Look at verse 14. And actually, let's start in verse 13. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come well, what does this mean? And how does this validate John? How does Jesus use this to prove that John was a messenger from God? Well, in the Old Testament, again, in the book of Malachi, God had promised to send the prophet Elijah before the coming Messiah. That is, before he would come to earth. And stick with me here, sort of getting a little technical. I'm gonna read Malachi 4, 5 for you. It reads this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before I'm going to send you Elijah before, this is, this is Malachi 4, 5, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. And so that was the prophecy. 
That was the prophecy given to the people concerning Elijah and Messiah. You still with me? It was a prophecy concerning Elijah and Messiah. And the people were expecting Elijah to come first. The people understood that Elijah had to come before Messiah came because that's what the text said. That's what Malachi 4, 5 said. But listen to this. Unfortunately, what the people did not understand as it related to Malachi 4, 5 was this was that Elijah himself wasn't actually going to appear. Now, stay with me here. This might sound confusing because we just read Malachi 4, 5, which says Elijah had to come before Messiah, but then I'm telling you Elijah himself wasn't actually going to appear. Let me, let me explain myself. It was foretold by the Lord that Elijah had to come before Messiah, right? I just read that for you. He's going to come before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, Malachi 4, 5. But interestingly enough, what is not spoken in that prophecy in Malachi chapter 4, listen to this, is the way in which Elijah was going to come or or the form in which Elijah was going to come. Understandably so, when the people read, well, Elijah has to come before Messiah, they're expecting to see Elijah in the flesh. But once we come to the New Testament, we see that that is actually not the case. It's not the case. When Malachi promised in Malachi 4, 5, When Malachi promised that Elijah the prophet would come before the Lord, what he was really saying was this. There's going to be a prophet who comes in the spirit of Elijah, in the spirit of Elijah. He was basically saying another prophet who's similar to Elijah in the way he preaches and in what he preaches, he's going to precede the Messiah. And ladies and gentlemen, John the Baptist was that prophet. He was the prophet who came in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah. And actually to see this better, go over to chapter 17. The Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration, many of you know this, is the time in which Jesus took John, or sorry, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountain, and he transfigured, that is changed in form, before their eyes, and they saw him in his glorious form. I mean, just a wonderful, wonderful event. And present at this scene were two other great men, Moses and Elijah. And so the disciples are taken up, three of them, Peter, James, and John, are taken up to this mountain, and Jesus literally transfigures. He changes his form into his glorified form, and he's having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. I mean, this probably would have been hard for them to to comprehend. And so we pick up in verse 9 with that information. And as they were coming down from the mountain, they just experienced this great event. Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. In other words, don't tell anyone this until I die. And the disciples asked him, then why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? They just saw Elijah speaking with the glorified Christ, and they're like, why did, why did the prophets say? We, we read in Malachi 4 or 5, we understand that, that Elijah has to come first, but, but what we just experienced, was that the fulfillment of that prophecy? Why did only three people, myself, Peter, James, why, why do we only get to see this? I thought he was going to come in a more visible way. That's really their question, and Jesus answered their question in verse 11. He answered, Elijah does come. He does come. Malachi 4 or 5 is right. And he will restore all things. But I tell you this, that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him. That is, he came, but no one noticed him. 
but did whatever they wanted to him, whatever they pleased. And so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. But verse 13, here it is. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about who? John the Baptist. John John the Baptist was Elijah. He came in the spirit of Elijah, and he fulfilled Malachi 4, 5. And actually, this was spoken of before he was even born to his father. In Luke chapter 1, verse 14 through 16, the angel there, if you remember that story, the angel comes to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, and he says this to them. He says, he says do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. They, him and his wife were offering up prayers because they were barren. She had no child. And your wife, the angel tells Zechariah, will bear your son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And we already saw that. He was a great man. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, John the Baptist had his, the Holy Spirit when he was in the womb of his, of his mom. I mean, a great man. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 17. And he will go before him. Listen to this. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. In the spirit and power of Elijah. Go back to Matthew chapter 11 now. And so again, as Jesus is trying to prove and validate that John is a messenger truly sent from God, he's a prophet. He's a special prophet. He's the greatest prophet. He was a prophet whose message was, was received. People came storming in once he started preaching. He was the prophet who, who, really, who announced the arrival of Messiah. And then Jesus says he was the prophet Elijah. He came in the spirit of Elijah. And so Jesus, listen to this, he has proven to these people concerning John, without a, without a shadow of a doubt, that John was a messenger sent from God. And so what is Jesus saying in this tribute? He's saying, one, listen, John is godly. That's verse seven and eight. He's a man with conviction. He's a man who doesn't care about the, his appearance before other people, but only of God. He, he, he's only care, he, he only cares about what God has to say. But then two, John is a prophet, and he, we just saw that, verses 9 through 14. This is what Jesus says in his tribute to John, guys, basically. He says, one, John loves God, and two, John spoke for God. John spoke for God. And then look at verse 15. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Jesus wanted his listeners to chew on what he just said about John. I've given him some lofty words. I want you to think about this. Think about what I've just said. I want you to give some serious thought to the words that I've just spoken about John. And so at this time, I want to do that here with you. We know what Jesus said, right, about John. He's a godly man, and he's a prophet. That's pretty simple. But now I want to ask the question, why? Why did he say these things? Why this eight-verse commendation of John right after he shows some signs of doubt in verses one through six? Why such lofty statements about John, calling him basically the greatest man who ever lived and a, and a true messenger for God? Why? Why? Well, in closing, I want to give you two answers to that question. 
And the two answers that I want to give to you in answering that are, are this. One, Jesus gave this tribute to this, or to, um, of John to the people because he wanted to indict those who rejected his message. And then two, Jesus wanted to point to John's life as one worth following. Two reasons why he gave this tribute. He wanted to indict those who rejected his message, and he wanted to point to John's life as one worth following. So the first one, he wanted to indict those who rejected the message of John. There were many. And actually, look at verse 16, right? After he's given this tribute to John, he says, consider what I've just told you. Think about it. And then verse 16, he says, but what shall I compare this generation to? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and a dirge was just a, 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 a funeral song. And you did not mourn. We, we played a, the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. This is what this generation is like. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. The son of man, I've come eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. And let me summarize what Jesus is saying to you. Let me simplify what he's saying in these four verses. He's saying this to the people who rejected John's message. You're unyielding in your unbelief. You are unyielding in your unbelief. You're, you are stubborn. Nothing will please you. You're, you are resolved to reject the will of God for your life. Again, this is an indictment. There were those who rejected John the Baptist as being a true spokesman of God, though Jesus proves that. He was a true spokesman of God, but so many people rejected it. And look at verse 18. Verse 18 tells us, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. He lived a rigid and ascetic, if you will, lifestyle. He was a minimalist. But then those same people who rejected John because, because he lived a rigid lifestyle, an austere lifestyle, those same people rejected Jesus. Look at verse 19. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton, a drunkard. And so what's the point? Jesus said, you didn't believe me because I, you said I was a glutton. I engaged in too much normal everyday activities. But, when, but then you didn't accept John either because you said he was too much of a recluse. You said he was demonic. And Jesus is saying this. And so really, no matter what, no matter who the messenger is bringing the hope of salvation to you, no matter who the person is bringing you the message, either way, you're going to reject it. Either way, you're going to reject it. And then he gives this comparison of these children. And let me just tell you this. In Jesus' day, kids would play the games of wedding and funeral. <laughs> right? Interesting games. We don't play those type of games nowadays. <laughs> wedding and funeral. In the funeral, that's verse 17, we played the flute and then we sang the dirge. Or sorry, we played the flute, that's the wedding. And then we sang the dirge, that's the funeral. They would be playing these games while their parents were busy shopping. And there always existed, listen to me here, there always existed one kid who was playing in the market, who was this, who was a party pooper, a party pooper. There was always that one kid, I mean, you probably, maybe you were that kid when you were young, <laughs> maybe you had a sibling or a friend 
who was that kid, no matter what the game was being played, they never were pleased, ever. This child that Jesus is explaining here, and he's using it as a comparison to these people who rejected his and John's message. I mean, this child, again, he, he would cry when they were playing wedding. It was supposed to be a joyous occasion. But then look at verse 17. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. You were sad. Okay, but then we tried to switch it on you, which we, we're, we're trying to appeal to you. We, we sang a dirge. We played the funeral, but then what did they do? Then they started hopping around. It's like, come on. <laughs> come on. These kids were just unwilling to follow along. And this is the picture that Jesus is painting of this of this generation. John came and he was a recluse. You rejected him. I come and I, I, I participate in the normal everyday activities and you reject me as well. You're obstinate in your unbelief. You're immovable when it comes to your unbelief. This is scary, ladies and gentlemen. Such people still exist today. People like this still, I mean, you, you bring them one truth and they say, no, I don't want that. And then you bring them another, no, I don't want that. Just immovable, stiff-necked, if you will, stiff-necked. And Jesus indicts these individuals. Say, you never can be pleased. You're like small, immature children. You're like party poopers. You're never going to be pleased. That's the one reason he gave this tribute for John the Baptist, because this guy was a man from, from God, but they rejected him. They rejected him. And then Jesus come, and they reject him too. What do you want? What do you want? But here's the second reason Jesus gave this tribute to God. He wanted to point to John's life as one worth following. He wanted to point to John's life as one worth following. And in light of everything that we've, we've looked at regarding the character and ministry of John, I just, I just think it's so fitting to end our night on this note because we've seen tonight, impartial, John was, was just the man whose entire life pointed to God, was he not? His entire life. When he was speaking, he pointed to God. When he was living, he was pointing to God. I mean, everything he did was all for the glory of God. And in light of that very fact, I think as Jesus gives this, this praise of John, if you will, he lifts him up in verses 7 through 15. He's giving it to the people and saying this, follow after John. Follow after John. Because he lived for me. Model the life of John because he was all about my glory. He was all about my praise. All he ever wanted to do was please God and God alone. Follow after John because he is the mark of true greatness. True greatness. Greatness, ladies and gentlemen, has nothing to do with what you accomplish before the eyes of men. The battles you conquer from a worldly standpoint, it has nothing to do with that. You want to be great? Follow John. Follow John because he followed Christ. Greatness is defined in this way. One, your character points to God. And two, your message points to God. Your character points to God and your message points to God. This was John the Baptist. So in closing, turn over to John chapter three. I just could not take you here. I had to. John chapter three. Verse 22, follow this, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, this is the quintessential text that sums up the life of John the Baptist. Follow this. 
This was challenging for me. This sums up who he was. Even in some of your subtitles, if you have an ESV like me, it says, John the Baptist exalts Christ. That's all he wanted to do, exalt Christ. Verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judea countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. And actually, in chapter 4, we're told he actually wasn't baptizing, but those around him were baptizing. Verse 23, John was also baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Verse 25, now discretion arose between some of, some of John's disciples, John the Baptist, and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you, he's going to speak of Jesus here, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness Look, he's baptizing, and all the people are going to him. And so what is John the Baptist's disciple saying? He, he's still in all our guys. He, he's still in all, this, this Jesus guy that you pointed to, he's taking all of our guys. Come on. Look at John's answer to this. I mean, this is, this is challenging, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Christian life here. Verse 27, John answered, a person cannot receive any one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. He said, listen, it came all from him. <laughs> I don't have anything. Verse 28, you yourselves bear witness that I said I'm not the Christ. I mean, you even admit, he's, tell he's telling this to his disciples who want to bring people back into the fold of John. You said yourselves that, or you heard me say that I'm not the Christ. But I've been sent before him. Again, I'm the messenger, just preparing the way before him. You know this, I told you this. Verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. I mean, this is a picture. I don't know if you've ever been in a wedding as a groomsman. I mean, right, it would just be <laughs> the, the audacity for, the, for a groomsman to try to go grab the bride <laughs> as the groom is standing there ready to give his life to her. I mean, that's what John is saying. He said, I'm not going to go. I mean, he, he, that's his wife. I, I'm not going to go grab them. Do, do you see what he's saying, though? The people are for him. He's pointing to Christ. Is this not beautiful and challenging? He says, I rejoice greatly at the bridegroom's voice. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. It's complete. He's here. I've done my job. And then verse 30, he must increase, but I must what? Decrease. I mean, good night, really. I mean, right? <laughs> this is challenging, right? I mean, this type of mentality that's why, that's why Jesus gave him a tribute. That's why he spoke so highly of John the Baptist. Because this man pointed to God. Every time someone tried to give him praise or give him a hug, he was ducking under him and saying, go to him. Go to him. That's what we're supposed to do too. Amen? Let's pray to ask the Lord to help us. <laughs> Lord, thank you for 
John's life. It's going to be neat to meet him someday in glory. But even greater than that, it's going to be far greater to meet you, Lord, and be with you. Father, thank you for John. Thank you for his life that it pointed to you. He was a man with conviction, a man who was, who was worried about how he was viewed only in your sight. Thank you that he was a, a messenger from God, a special messenger. He was privileged. He was the forerunner. He spoke and pointed people to Messiah. Thank you for showing us this in this tribute. Oh, Father, I pray that we can be like John the Baptist, that, that we could follow suit because he followed Christ. Better, better yet, he pointed to Christ. He gave Christ all the glory. He got out of the way. I rejoice at the bridegroom's voice. He must increase. Lord, we need help doing this. Father, we confess that this is not our mentality oftentimes, and we need your grace. We need your great grace to get out of the way and point people to Messiah. So, Lord, we ask for your help tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.